Would you take the Word of God this evening with me? Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 23. Exodus and uh, chapter 23. We are in the section in the book of Exodus in chapter 20. The, the moral law of God was given the Ten Commandments. I believe those are the uh, the law that is written in the heart of man that we see in Romans uh, chapter 2. He goes beginning in chapter 21 to speak of the judgments of God to give aid to those who would stand in the office of judges to judge the people of God in Israel. And uh, it is there's a variety of um, uh, areas that are mentioned through that. He also deals with not just uh, the judgments among men in in their social life uh, with regards to thieves, to those who are uh, murderers and so on, but he also deals and addresses the importance of having the right type of judges who are not influenced by the mob, uh, judges who are not swayed whether someone is rich or being too lenient to the poor. He wants them to exercise the judgment that God would exercise, that God is not a respecter of persons. They should not even take bribes, and he deals with those judges. And then um, in chapter 23, we saw that um, uh, God instituted a number of feasts and observances so that the people of God would not forget God. And we know that human nature is prone to forget God, and what I mean by forgetting God is not that God is no longer in our memory, but perhaps we do not recognize God for the things that we ought to recognize God for. And so we saw that God is, has a weekly observance that He gave His people, the Sabbath day. There are uh, also um, three feasts during the year that ought to be observed, so three times a year, same feast. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Harvest, and uh, the Feast of Ingathering. And so those are three feasts that they were to observe. Uh, And then he also instituted a sabbatical year. Every seventh year, uh, they they were not to uh, sow nor reap. And they were to observe that seventh year as a sabbatical year. Uh, We also know that there is a 50th year jubilee, which is, uh, I guess, another one of those observances. And so we have a God is trying to uh, teach His people the importance of having specific observances so that they would have always before them God. And um, by the way, I think it's important for us to understand why we have church on a weekly basis. Uh, and we um, uh, sometimes may do things, and no, again, there's no specific feasts that were instituted for the church, but we know we do observe the Lord's Supper, for example, regularly, and that's something that we ought to do to remember uh, the Lord. And so certainly we do not operate as the nation of Israel, but we do have things that are part of the church that, that we ought to observe and remember the Lord and have all, the Lord always uh, before us. We come now to a, a different section here. It's... Um, The end of chapter 23 ends this section of the judgments of God. Chapter 24, uh, God is going to speak to Moses specifically about uh, specific instructions and uh, Aaron and so on. And then we're going to see in chapter 25, he's going to begin to get into the tabernacle. And that's going to be really interesting to think about all the areas of the tabernacle that 
point us to Jesus Christ, that show us who Jesus Christ was and what he would do and so on. And so that's going to be a wonderful time, but we're not there yet. Uh, We're at the remainder of chapter 23, and here uh, the Lord is speaking to his people through Moses and giving a final set of judgments. And this is a, I would say from verse 20 to verse 33 is is one judgment, uh, one thing that he wants his people to consider. And so we're going to read, and I would like maybe for you to know, let me give it to you first, so that as we read it, we pay attention to it. How many times God says that He is going to do something? And I, it really reminds me back when uh, God, in Exodus chapter 3, came to Moses in the burning bush, and He wanted Moses to lead His people out of Egyptian bondage, But throughout the entire chapter, you see God over and over again says, I will, I will, I will. And he just wants Moses to be involved. And in the same way, God is in this chapter is going to continually say, I will, I'm going to do this. I have done this and I will do this. And so let's pay attention to how this keeps coming up here in this section. Um, Let me give you the title, though, before we read. The title this evening is The Angel of God and His Voice. The Angel of God and His Voice. So let's all stand together, if you would, out of reverence for God's Word. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 20. Exodus 23, verse 20. There are different, uh, before we read here, there are, I have a a study Bible uh, in my home Actually, it's not my home. It's upstairs now in the office. <laughs> I'm so used to having the office at the house. Uh, that um, if you, How many of you have a red-letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red? Okay. How many of you have a red-letter Bible for the Old Testament? For, okay, so there's a few of those. Uh, I have a study Bible that breaks down um, when God speaks, when the Holy Spirit speaks, and when Jesus speaks. And there's a different color for each one. Uh, emphasizing the Trinity. And uh, by the way, all that we've read in the last few chapters, that this is all God speaking. Okay? Uh, Moses is speaking the words of God. That's what he is doing. And so this, these are the words of God. And so notice verse 20. Behold, I, who's the I? That's God. So that's where we begin. I send an angel before thee. To keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. 
And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will dr not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. I would like to, you to go back and I want you to notice in verse 20, Behold, I send an angel. And notice verse 21, Beware of him and obey his voice. So I'd like to preach this evening on the angel of God and his voice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for this passage and what this meant in the life of the nation of Israel. And Lord, our desire is, is that we might take this account and uh, consider what it means for us today or maybe the application that we can make in our own lives and in the life of this church. Uh, Lord, help us to understand who this angel is and what he says. And I pray that we would have the discernment as we study through this, the remainder of this chapter, that in specific ways you would speak to our hearts. And we thank you that as we're reminded at the beginning of this meeting, that you do speak to us and for that we are grateful. So we ask your blessing on this message. Guide my words and my thoughts this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The angel of God and his voice as we study here this section of the judgments uh, of the Lord. In the close of this chapter, he is telling them they're going to go into the land and God is listing for them some things that he is going to do. Uh, by the way, it's interesting if you think about this chapter, Exodus chapter 23, and if you go to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua brings this very chapter up. He speaks of the things that God said he would do, and at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua says, and he did. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. That in the Bible, we not just have the record, not just this one time, and throughout the Bible, we have a record of what God said he's going to do, and in the Bible itself, we also have a record of God doing those very things. Which tells us that 
the things that God said that he is going to do that he has not done yet, <laughs> he will do. Because that's what he has always done. God has always been faithful to his word. God cannot lie. And he will accomplish what he set out to accomplish. As we come to this section though, we before he talks about the land and what God will do for them and bringing them in the land and driving out the inhabitants of the land, he introduces uh, the people of Israel to the angel of the Lord. To, to the angel of the Lord. Now, throughout this very book, the book of Exodus, we have already seen uh, the ideas about the angel of the Lord. Uh, if you hold your place here, just so that we, when we come to chapter 23, if we remember what we've studied, we've already had some insight into the angel of the Lord. Who is this angel of the Lord? Is he just another angel or is there something specific about this angel? Uh, go back with me to Exodus chapter 3, just so we get some background from this book. I, I believe back in Exodus chapter 3, when we come in the interaction between God and Moses... This is a meeting that we might say is a private meeting between the Lord and Moses. Moses is on the backside of the desert. He is in Mount Horeb. And uh, if you notice with me in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, wait a minute, go back to verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him. But then the Bible says in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside. So who is this angel of the Lord? It's the Lord himself. Now I believe to that to be a Christophany, which is a, a, um, um, a pre-revelation or manifestation of Jesus Christ. Now, in this case, it's through a burning bush, not Jesus Christ in bodily form, but in a burning bush. It's the angel of the Lord. And notice, when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see, and God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. So we already have an insight about the angel of the Lord. And when we study back in chapter 3, we see that this angel of the Lord is the Lord himself speaking. Okay, go with me to chapter 14, Exodus chapter 14. We have a second reference in Exodus chapter 14. And notice verse 19. Now, this is at, uh, if you remember, the crossing of the Red Sea. Notice verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And so here, uh, again, the Egyptians are coming upon the children of Israel. The children of Israel are standing before the Red Sea, and God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so they are going to begin to walk in that direction. The sea is going to open up. But as the Egyptians are coming, while the children of Israel cross, God sends His angel to stand between the Egyptians 
and the Israelites. And it's interesting that to the Egyptians, the angel of the Lord was darkness. But to the Israelites, the angel of the Lord was light. So we already saw that. Now we come to chapter 23. And the Lord speaks of an angel. If you have a Bible, I don't know if, if uh, it should be the word angel, anything peculiar about the word angel there. It is capitalized. Behold, I send an angel. Again in verse 23, for mine angel. So what I would like to do here is ask some question about this angel and hopefully bring us to the right conclusion about who this angel is. First of all, who is this angel? And let's just stay within the text and ask ourselves, who is this angel according to the text? Are there any indication as to who this angel is? And first of all, what we identify in verse, in verse 20 is this, behold, I send an angel before thee. Here's what we know about this angel, is that this angel is sent by God. That's what we know about this angel. God is going to specifically send this angel. It interestingly that when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, he sends his angel. When God manifests himself to the children of Israel, he sent this angel before and behind them, and this angel, by the way, uh, this uh, uh, a flame of fire by night and the smoke by day, remained for them all throughout the wilderness, uh, through their wilderness journey. Uh, that it was always guiding them and before them. And so we noted that this angel is sent by God. The second thing we note about this angel in verse 21 he says, Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So we notice a second thing about this angel is that this angel has the power to pardon transgressions. Now that's interesting here. He says now, this angel, notice, he says, puts it in the negative. For he, don't provoke him, if you provoke him, he will not pardon your transgression. And here, all of a sudden here, we pay attention because we know something. If you know something about the scriptures, you know that there's only one person that can forgive sin. And that's God. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Isaiah 43 verse 25 says this, I, even I, am he that blotted out, blotted out the, uh, thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. There is, according to the Bible, there is no one else that can forgive sin but God. One of the reasons why we know that Jesus is God is because Jesus did possess the power to forgive sin. You remember the scene in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, the Bible says he, when Jesus entered into the ship, he passed over and he came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying in a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. Now, no, they, they are right to say that because their understanding is only God can forgive sin. 
And they're right, by the way. They're right that only God can forgive sins. What they did not understand was that Jesus was God and is God. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil of in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And so this whole thing was to show us that Jesus Christ is indeed God in the flesh and that he has power to forgive sin. And so what we know about this angel here in Exodus chapter 23 is that he has the power to pardon transgressions. He has the power to forgive sins. There's something else we note about this angel. In verse 21, notice at the end of verse 21, he says... For he will not pardon your transgressions, but for, for my name is in him. What we learn about this angel is that he has the name of God in him. There's only one other person that I know that has the name of God in him, and that is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Jehovah is salvation. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. And so when we look about this angel, there's another thing that we see about this angel that I think is important, and that is in verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice. Here's what we learn about this angel, is that this angel speaks as God speaks. Notice with me verse 22. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, the voice of the angel, notice, and do all that I speak. Oh, if that's not evident, there it is. The angel's going to speak to you, obey his voice, even as, as I speak. So who's speaking? Is it the angel or is it God? Yes. Yes. To both questions. So here's my conclusion. Who is this angel according to our text? According to our text, it's none other than Jesus Christ. You see, we don't need to get to the New Testament to see Christ. We find them all throughout the Old Testament. And there he is. God will send his angel. And by the way, this is in a sense a, um, a shadow of what Jesus Christ would come because if you take all of those points, that who, that's who Jesus is to us. Uh, Jesus Christ is sent by God. Uh, Jesus Christ has the power to forgive our transgressions. Jesus Christ, the name of God, is in Him. And Jesus Christ speaks as God speaks. You remember what He said during His ministry? All that I say, it is what the Father hath told me. I speak not of myself, but that which has been given to me. And so who is this angel according to our text? I believe it's none other than Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ is not created. He's everlasting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so we find here, here that This angel, I believe, is Jesus Christ. But what, a second question is, what does this angel do? We know who he is, but what does he do according to 
our text, well, I think that there are two main things that he does. Uh, the first thing that he does is that he directs God's people. If you notice with me in um, verse 21, he says, uh, or uh, verse 20, he says, I send an angel before thee, notice, to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. So that's what he does. We see that the angel here, Jesus Christ, is directing God's people. Notice he is before them. And by the way, we saw that uh, with the pillar of fire by day and the pillar of cloud by night. But now it's actually being revealed to them by the mouth of God through Moses to the people as to who this is. This is the angel of the Lord. And this angel of the Lord, as we see, is none other than God himself. Now, they, they don't have they, the knowledge that we have today uh, because we see the fulfillment of Christ. Uh, all they know is that this angel is a different angel than all of the other angels. This is a specific angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. And we find this angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament. By the way, and how do we know a distinction between the angel of the Lord and a regular angel is that the angel of the Lord receives worship. All the other angels do not. But the angel of the Lord does receive worship. And so here the people of Israel are equated with not only who this angel is, but they're getting acquainted as to what this angel uh, does. And the first thing that he does is that he directs his uh, people. And so this angel is set before them. He will, the Bible says, keep them and will bring the people. Uh, again, at the end of verse 20, he says, which I have prepared. Well, what, does, what has God prepared for them? The promised land. That's what he's talking about. That's where they're going, by the way. They're on their journey there. They're going to the promised land. That's what God has prepared for them. Now notice those three things. Uh, God said, I have set him before thee. Here's what we learn about God. Is that God does not, did not at that time, leave his people without direction. And God today has not left his people without direction either. We also know when he says that he sends this angel to keep thee. We learn here that God does not leave his people without protection. He's going to protect them. And so he does, whether, by the way, not just from the enemy, but protection from hunger. He fed them in the wilderness. He's going to keep them, protect them, until they get to the promised land that God has prepared for them. And then lastly, he will bring them. That means that God does not leave his people. Remember the whole book of Exodus? It's not about, well, let me bring you here. And here's your, I'm going to put you in the land. No, that where I am, there ye may be also. Ye have seen, remember back in chapter 19, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. It's not about the land as much as it is about God. Yes, the land is involved, but the land is involved because God is there and God is meeting them there. And so we find here that uh, God sends his angels to direct his people, but there's a second thing that the angel does, and that is that this angel speaks to God's people. Notice verse 21. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name 
is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. And so the, this angel not only directs God's people, but he speaks to God's people. Notice three things that he tells his people to do in response to the angel. By the way, it, uh, we're going to see here, it answers really the third question in conjunction with the second question. What does he do? He directs God's people and he speaks to God's people. But it brings us to the third question. How are the people of Israel to respond to the angel? Because he's directing them, right? And he's speaking to them. So what's the response? Follow and listen. That's pretty simple. Basic. But that's the response. Follow him and listen when he speaks. Notice in verse 21, he gives them three things. Beware of him and obey his voice and provoke him not. Now, the expression here, beware of him, is not uh, beware of him. He's hiding somewhere and he's going to jump out and scare you sometime. No, that's not what he's talking about. Uh, the word beware has the idea is, is hold him with high regard. Protect him in your mind and in your heart. Give attendance to him. That's what that means. Beware of him. Give attendance to God. Uh, why? The context is he wants to direct you and he wants to speak to you. So he's saying to them, pay attention. Pay attention. The second thing is obey his voice. So we may have here, uh, hold him in regard, protect him in your heart and your mind, give attendance to him, obey his voice. That means, it, that means submit to him. Pay attention. And then submit to him when he speaks. And then he says, and provoke him not. Uh, the word provoke means that we might cause him to be grieved or vexed. Right? For the New Testament, we talk about, uh, uh, for the believer, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed into the day of redemption. That's the same idea there, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we may grieve him when he speaks. How do we grieve him? By not paying attention and by not listening and submitting when he speaks to us. So give attendance to his voice, submit to his voice, and don't grieve him. That's very simple. He is there. God is sending forth his angel to both direct you and to speak to you. So give attendance, submit, and do not provoke him. Okay. That's the three questions about the angels. Who is this angel? What does this angel do? And how are the people to respond to the angel? He says in verse 23, For mine angel shall go before thee, and bring thee in, in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thus shalt, uh, th thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So, 
God says, I'm going to direct you, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to bring you into the land. And, and here's what the land is comprised of. It is filled with pagan people. Uh, by the way, people that in their style they are very familiar with as coming from Egypt. Do you remember while they were in Egypt, it is evident that God had told them to forsake the gods of the Egyptians. Now they're coming to a new land and the land of the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and they also have their own gods. And God gives them a warning before they go in to beware and not to bow down to their gods, not to serve their gods, nor do after their work, but rather to overthrow them and to break down the images. And so he says, if you do this when you get there, and I'm going to revisit here this at the end because he mentioned this again at the end of the chapter. But he says, if you do these things, here is what I am going to do for you. What is God going to do? Verse 26, 27, 28 29, 30, and 31. Here's what God will do for them. A summary here, but again, this is the land that they're promised. Uh, we notice in um, notice verse 25, they will prosper as possessors of the land. Verse 26, uh, they will multiply as a people. When he says, there shall nothing cast their young, the expression to cast their young means uh, to cause a miscarriage. And so God says, you're going to nor, notice, nor be barren. You're not going to be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. And so they're going to multiply as a people. They're going to prosper as possessors of the land. Verse 27, I will send my fear before thee. They, the, the nations that they're going to are going to fear the Lord. By the way, we see that immediately in Joshua chapter 2 when the spies go into Jericho, they speak to the woman. And you remember what the woman said. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint before you. Well, that's exactly what God... Can you imagine the spies? They know Exodus 23. It's recent in their memory. And they come to the land and God had said that He would put the people's fear before their eyes and they get there and it says, all the people fear you. Well, that's what God said. Quite amazing. Verse 28, uh, he says, the, the, Those nations will flee, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canite, and the Hittite and uh, from before thee. Uh, so they're going to flee. Uh, by the way, we see uh, in Joshua 24, the very last chapter, Joshua in fulfillment of this, he says, And I sent, now he's looking back, I sent hornet before you which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. <laughs> he says, uh, you were not involved. God did this, just like he said he, he would in Exodus 23. Joshua says, now he has done it. He, he has fulfilled his word. He, he said, and he did. He goes on to say in verse 29 and 30, that... God would drive them out. And it's interesting, God says uh, it's going to be little by little. It's not going to be all at once. And God gives actually the reason for that. He, says he doesn't want the land to be desolate. He wants the land to be cared for. In other words, uh, if everybody leaves the moment they step on the ground, then they don't have the time to take over all the cities and all the vineyards and all those things. And so it's going to happen little by little. 
uh, so that the land does, it doesn't become desolate and overrun with beasts and so on. And so God said, it's going to take a process and you're going to have to trust me through this process. Verse 30, uh, by little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit uh, the land. So it's both for the sake of the land, but also for the sake of their increase. And so that's what God said he would do for them. And then in verse 31, he sums up the boundaries of what they are going to inherit. I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land unto your, into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out from before thee. So God says, uh, now again, th- this is all predicated on God sends his angels before you. You know who he is. And he's going to do two things. Uh, he is going to direct you. And he's going to speak to you. And your responsibility is to give attendance to him, to submit to him, and not to provoke him to anger. And so if you obey his voice, when you go into the land, here's what's going to happen. Here's what God is going to do. Do you you note the simplicity of the responsibility of the children of Israel? And what I mean by that is God is not organizing a strategic overtaking of the land. All right, we've got 12 tribes. And so what we need to do is we need to break out in 12 tribes. And uh, some of you need to attack from the north. And some of you, there's no strategy involved here. The only strategy that the people of God need is give attendance to his voice. Submit to him when he speaks. And don't provoke him to anger. And God says, if you do this, I will do this. Now, he gives a warning twice. And so, by reason of emphasis, I believe this is where God is trying to get his people to be warned. We saw that earlier back in verse 24. He said, thou shalt not bow down to their gods, the gods of who he listed in verse 23, right? The Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And go down to verse 32 and 33. He ends this section in the same way, bringing this very subject up again. And he says, Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, I will surely be a snare unto thee. So, we see that the concern of God is as they go into the land, and now they're among the people, they might be influenced by the gods of the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the, and, and, the, and the Hivites. The concern, notice he mentions back in verse 24, Thou shalt not bow down to their gods. Here's what he says. Do not give any reverence to any of their gods. He says, Thou shalt not also serve them. Or thou shalt not do after their works. Well, whose works? Well, the works of 
the people who worship those false gods and what they do. Well, what had they in the land? Well, they had groves and images. All those things that you read about. Sad to say that when you read the book of 1st, 2nd King and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you find that the children of Israel made groves just like the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Hittites. They made images. When a good king will come who feared God, they would get rid of the groves. They would get rid of the images. But when an evil king came, they would bring back the groves and they would bring back the images. He goes on to say at the end, notice verse 33, They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. Lest they make me sin against me. I'm not going to go there for sake of time. I was prepared to, but I'm not going to go there. I'll summarize it for you. You come to the book of Joshua, and they conquered a great chunk of land. But the summary of the book of Joshua was that there was still much land to possess. And when you get to Judges chapter 1, you read something happening with each one of the tribes. When the land was divided by the tribes, the job of the tribe was to drive out those pagan nations. And over and over again, every single tribe failed to drive out the inhabitants that they were, that they were commanded to drive out. And so they were cohabiting with nations who worship false gods. And the warning that God gave them, we see it fulfilled. Now, <clears throat> I made this point in this book, and I, I think it's important. Don't misunderstand the idea of worshiping or serving or doing after the work of those gods in sense of that one day they presented an image or a statue before the children of Israel and says, bow down before this God. Serve this God. Do the works that we do for this God. That's not how it starts. You, we have to remember what idolatry is. We study the Ten Commandments. Idolatry, which is rooted and connected to covetousness, the New Testament says that covetousness is idolatry, it is this, finding satisfaction in anything else or anyone else except God. That's idolatry. You see, the trouble with other gods is not their names. The trouble with other gods is what they represent. It is what they allow the people to do. You see, the reason why the children of Israel would turn to other gods was not because those gods were more impressive, but it's because the theology that accompanied those gods were, was permissive in their wickedness. That's the problem with other gods. The gods of the Amorites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites were immoral gods, promoted immorality. Promoted wickedness. Promoted child sacrifice. All kinds of wickedness. And so understand, don't misunderstand. The reason why the children of Israel accepted other gods eventually was not because those gods were more impressive than Jehovah. 
It was simply because those gods were permissive in, in the indulgence of their flesh. So let's pause here and here's the difficulty. We, we come to this passage and we know the New Testament says that these things are written for, are written for our learning and this is written for our learning, is it not? It's written for our learning. Human nature has not changed and God has not changed. We're not the children of Israel. We do not have this. Uh, we're not in these specific circumstances. But I do think that there are some things that we can take away from this passage to help us today in the 21st century. Here are some ways that we can connect this. The truth is, uh, God has sent His angel, Jesus Christ, directly from heaven. The one who made all things and created all things. He became a man without ceasing to be God to redeem us from our sin. Jesus Christ, when He was in earth, He started His church. And what He does, this, this angel or Jesus Christ, as we refer to Him, He is the one that has the power to forgive our sin. He is the one that in Him the name of God is found. He is the one who speaks for God who is the voice of God. And by the way, Jesus Christ today is still wanting and desiring to direct His people and He still wants to speak to His people. We know that. And we can bring that in the New Testament time and we also know that the application is still the same for us. What is to be our response when God wants to, through Christ, wants to direct us and speak to us? The response ought to be this. We ought to give attendance to Him. Secondly, we ought to submit to Him. And thirdly, we ought not to provoke Him. I began the meeting tonight with Revelation chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, I remember, you remember has, with the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant would go before them. Remember, he read before them in, uh, when they crossed Jordan, when they went around Jericho seven times. That was the presence of the Lord. Uh, the pillar of fire by day, the uh, or, or cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And so uh, that was the, the angel of the Lord. And we might say that uh, when the camp was set up in the nation of Israel, that the tabernacle was in the midst of the camp. When we come to the book of Revelation, we read something about Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is in the midst of the church. If you notice with me in chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, John, to notice the seven churches. The seven churches, we'll read about them uh, we read about them in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, the, th the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which was and which, uh, which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John is going to write to the seven churches and notice uh, Jesus or Jesus appears to John. We can read that from verse 7. 
Notice we pick it up in verse 12. And I turned and to see the voice that spake with me, and behold, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and said, uh, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Amen. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ. He recognizes who, he's, who is speaking to him. And Jesus says, verse 19, Write the, the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, the things, that's the outline for the book of Revelation, the things that he has seen was what? The revelation of Christ to him. The things which are, that's what he's going to write about the state of the seven churches, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and the things which shall be hereafter, these are the future fulfillments that are going to happen for the rest of the book of Revelation, chapter 4 through, through the end of the book. And then he says in verse 20, here's the mystery of that. Remember the, the uh, seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one is like unto the Son of God. Verse, seven, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let me ask you this. Who did he say was in the midst of the church? Jesus Christ is in the midst. If you have a red letter Bible, I don't tonight, but if you have a red letter Bible, you would find that all the words of chapter 2 and chapter 3 are in red. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus doing in those two chapters? He is directing his church and he is speaking to his church. Churches, we could say. There are seven of them. In different, uh, seven different geographical locations. The point I'm making here is this. That Jesus Christ is very interested in what's going on right here. Do you believe that? I, I hope you believe that. Jesus is very interested in the state of his churches. And as Jesus Christ is examining the churches, he has a specific message to each church. And if you notice here, and you probably know, already know this, but uh, there's a different message for the different churches. Uh, different uh, struggles, and uh, there are different commendations. Where he says, here's the things that you're doing really well. Continue in those things, and here's the things that you need to work on. And when we read uh, what, the, 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 what the Lord says to those churches, he basically says to them, uh, verse 7, notice the first to the first church, the church at Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you go, then you have the church of Smyrna. 
Verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt at the second death. Then he speaks of the church at Pergamos. And then Thyatira. And at each one of those churches, said, would you hear what the Spirit saith? Would you listen to God as He speaks to you? The response is threefold. Give attendance. Submit. And don't provoke. To one of those churches, he says, if you will not hear me, he said, I will remove your candlestick. What's a candlestick? Well, at the end of the candlestick is uh, the light. The church is to be a light in the world. Jesus taught that to his disciples. He are the light of the world. He told his disciples, don't hide it, but shine it before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And here when Jesus Christ is writing to those churches, he says to this one church that if you don't turn, if you don't hear my voice, if you don't submit, if you provoke me to anger, I will remove your candlestick. What does that mean? You will cease to be a light in this world. Now again, he is not talking, very important, he's not talking about them losing their salvation. He's talking about the influence of a church. He's talking about a corporate body in a specific location that is to shine as a light to that community. And he says, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to remove that light. You will cease to exist as a church. You may still have a building and you may still gather with people, but you will cease to have an influence in the community. You will no longer be light. How does that happen? By God's people not listening to His voice. As simple as that is, that's what's happened again and again and again all throughout our country. And it can happen to this church. If we do what? If we don't give attendance to his voice and submit and do not provoke him to anger. That sounds simple, but it's a little more difficult to practice, isn't it? Because here it is. We might come to church and say, well, I'm giving attendance. I'm here. You can be here give attendance to his voice but not submit to it and by the way I think that the idea of provoking is you hear him and you listen but you don't submit I don't know of anything in that could provoke God because the idea is you're not ignorant when God speaks you, you can't claim ignorance you have the knowledge but you don't act on the knowledge and that provokes the Lord to anger. And so James put this this way. He says, Be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Here's the truth. The world that does not know God is ignorant of the things of God. They are not responsible for all that is revealed to us as a church and all the things in obedience to God. What they need is the gospel. All the precepts and the things that the program of the church, that's not for the world. The world's not going to pay attention to any of that, but God's people ought to. 
And so, let's together work at this. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the application for us today. Because what this angel was to the children of Israel, Christ is to us today. Now, we know, I believe, that that's Christ that was there in the midst of the camp. And Christ is the same to the church. And so, let's um, be sensitive to the voice of God when He speaks to us. Let's be sensitive to that. Let's pray.